It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, June 20th. Dare I say, it was a fairly predictable day on both the WTA and ATP tours as week two of the 2023 grass court season carries on now. If you listen to yesterday's Mini Break podcast episode, you know I anticipated a few struggles for top seed Carlos Alcaraz in London. Simply put, today was just the seventh time Alcaraz has competed on a grass court at the ATP Tour level. It's the first time he's played a grass court tennis match, not at Wimbledon. I don't care how skilled, how talented, how successful you are on the other surfaces. It takes every player at least 10, 20, 30, dare I say 50 matches of grass court tennis to master the nuances of the surface. Of course, it didn't help for Alcaraz to be facing the ultimate disruptor in the big server, Arthur Rinderknecht. That said, God, Alcaraz's tenacity, every match he plays, so impressive. He's must-see TV because, you know, each and every point, even if he's struggling with his level, Carlos Alcaraz is giving his all. He certainly did that today in a three-set victory over Rinder Kanesh. I want to break down that match, talk about all the top seeds who got underway on the grass courts on the ATP side today, whether it was Alcaraz, whether it was Yannick Sinner pushed to three sets by Gasquet, Hercots pushed to three sets. Sets by Eubanks, yet all those guys in action, plenty of other intrigue as well, players like Rublev and so many more, all competing on Tuesday. I'll talk about all the ATP action in London, in Halle. On today's show, of course, we also have another 500-level event, both of those ATP events at the 500 level. Your WTA 500 this week is happening in Berlin, and again, every so often, you know, that squirrel finds the nut, right? I suppose yesterday was that podcast episode where a few predictions went our way, and I mean, I suppose I was due given how incorrect I was about last week's grass court results. I anticipated last year's Wimbledon quarterfinalist, Julie Niemeyer, might give Anjabur some trouble. She did that and more. Not only did Niemeyer pull off the upset, she did so in straight sets in Berlin on Tuesday. And look, you make a Wimbledon quarterfinal, your grass court potential is immediately evident, but God, it's the creativity, it's the power. There were times when Nehemiah today, out Jabur Jabur, and I'll explain what I mean by that on today's show, talk about the rest of, again, what was, albeit a straightforward, still a fun day of tennis in Berlin. You saw the top seeds, Rabakina, Sabalenka, Goff, all get their tournaments underway. Another upset via Avenisian. Plenty of fodder from Berlin. Of course, plenty of fun stuff in Birmingham as well. Maybe the best match of the day happened in Birmingham between Anastasia Potapova and Marta Kostyuk. If you haven't, 
go watch the replay, whether it's the full match. It's a long one, so maybe not the full match, but go watch some highlights on YouTube. It'll be worth your time. Ugh, the ball striking was so impressive. And it's crazy to think that Potapova, Kostyuk aren't traditionally considered, I don't know, top tier young rising talent. I know Potapova had a really good first third of the season, and certainly Marta Kostyuk's made a second week of a slam. We know what she's capable of, but that these two aren't considered top tier speaks to how top tier some of the young talents on the WTA side of things are right now. Potapova Kostyuk was excellent, as were a bunch of the matches we saw throughout the day in Birmingham. So again, on today's show, I want to break down all of the action, whether it's in London, whether it's in Halle, whether it's in Berlin, whether it's in Birmingham. We'll talk about everything happening here in week two of the 2023 grass court season on today's show. Of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out here on the mini break podcast feed is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. And I just want to quickly point you to some other content we have for you in case you're looking for other things happening in the tennis world on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Conversations with Kimmy Hans, Fangran Tien, Austin Krejcik, so many more. Uh, David DeMuth, head of the Cranbrook Tennis Classic, a new ATP Challenger event coming to my hometown, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, later this summer. A lot of fun conversations with a lot of actors within the sport right now. So if you're looking for more uh, podcasts, more entertainment, I suppose, Cracked Interviews podcast feed is the place for you on the Great Shot podcast feed. Challengers, college tennis, award show week, you name it, we'll have it for you. You can find all all of these episodes on our website, crackrackets.com, or by subscribing to our shows wherever you listen to your podcast. While you're there, leave a review. I always appreciate hearing your feedback and always appreciate interacting with all of you. I know it helps us with the formulas as well. So if you don't mind just taking the, what, 30, 45 seconds, maybe it takes you three minutes to come up with something clever. Totally get that struggle. We'd sincerely appreciate it. It helps us with the algorithm. So again, like, rate, subscribe, review to all the shows. Follow us, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. Of course, a shout out to all of you and a shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. So I'll be brief. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, let's get into Tuesday, June 20th action across the ATP and WTA tours. I'm going to mix things up. I'm going to start on the men's side today because outside of Novak Djokovic, Everything else is a question mark, or at least it feels like it on today, Tuesday, June 20th, heading into the 2023 Wimbledon. And, you know, again, that's why I was so quick in our French Open recap to emphasize the fact that, man, Djokovic doesn't have two hands on the calendar slam, but he has one hand on it now because whether it's his run to the titles in 2021, 2022, whether it's the fact that, you know, yes, Kyrgios made a final, but he's not healthy. Yes, Berrettini's made a final, but he's not healthy. Yes, guys like Herkots, Medvedev have had success at this event, but again, there's no significant track record to turn to to think that they're sure things through the first week. And, you know, guys like Tsitsipas, guys like Zverev, They've struggled traditionally on the well, the struggle for Zverev might be a bit of a stretch, but they haven't been exceptional on this surface. And, you know, a guy like Rublev, good, not great. Sinner made a quarterfinal last year, up two sets to love on Djokovic, I know, but still no firm, dare I say, scholarship to bear, not scholarship, but no firm, uh, what's the term, no firm 
I'm I'm blanking on the academic term, but no no firm track record is the easy term to say for Sinner either. And so again, Hatchinov, like really, you're gonna make Hatchinov as good as he's been. I know he's made semifinals at a bunch of slams of late and a bunch of quarterfinals as well, but you're gonna take him as a sure thing to be contender number two on your list. Good luck with that. It's why I do think, you know, particularly this week. Yes, you're locked in on Sabalenka, Rabakina, you're defending Wimbledon champ in Berlin, but I think the men's side's the more fascinating side this week because outside of Novak, again, I have no idea what anyone's going to look like throughout the course of the fortnight that is Wimbledon, and that's why I want to start today's podcast in London because certainly just on principle— Carlos Alcaraz has to be the top five contender list in any event that he's playing. The Spaniard is that sort of competitor, and certainly we saw that tenacity evident today in a match where he struggled, but ultimately earned a 4-6-7-5-7-6 victory over Arthur Rinderkanesh. Now, let's be clear. Alcaraz was down a set to break in this match, or... Uh, was it a set and a break? I'm not sure if it was in the second set. I know he was down a break early in the third. Alcaraz struggled. And first and foremost, the thing that was most abundantly evident is on this surface, it's just going to be a little bit more difficult from a footwork perspective for Alcaraz to ensure that he gets around his first serve and it gets a guaranteed look at a first forehand, even if he's already leaning that way and looking to run around the ball. And even if he sets up the first serve to set up a first forehand, you know, again, part of it was the fact that Rinder Kanesh, his opponent, 6'5", 6'6", the Frenchman wants to be taking the ball early on the rise, hitting the big first serve, first strike, pushing you on your back foot, and certainly that game is both amplified in, is amplified in success excuse me, on this surface. And, you know, again, Rinder Kanesh served lights out, I thought, all match long. You look at the numbers for Rinder Kanesh, made 70% of his first serves, fought off eight of the 11 break points that he faced. And yeah, again, Rinder Kanesh was up a break. It was the third set. Shout out to my memory with all these matches floating in between it. He was up two love early in the third. But, you know, again, Alcaraz gets that break right back. You know, the forehand passing shot he hit at five all on break point to secure the break in the second set was laughably exceptional and how Nadal-like it was outside the alley, hooked around the net and brought back into the court. Alcaraz's drop shot when he was able to find it with success did have success. Alcaraz is plenty comfortable playing serve and volley, hitting the big first shot and looking to move forward behind it. It was the little things. It was the footwork that was a little uncomfortable. Again, Rinder Kanesh made a bunch of first serves. And, you know, for what it's worth, Alcaraz still did gain 11 break point chances. He still did hold uh, Rinder Kanesh to under a 70% first serve clip, which on grass courts to win more than 30% of your first serve return points, it speaks to the fact that Alcaraz is the number one returner on the ATP Tour right now. He was lights out in the breaker, the first point, the cross-court forehand pass, the most evident factor. Again, Rinder Kanesh was a little limited in what he could do to attack Alcaraz, but credit to him was relentless in hitting the first strike, looking to move forward, forcing Alcaraz to just hit everything on the run and test the young Spaniard's footwork. Again, it's match number seven in Alcaraz's career on grass courts. He made a second round of Wimbledon in 2021 before losing to Medvedev, fourth round last year before losing to Sinner. 
he gets a, a much-needed three-set win to just extend his stay and get another repetition. And look, he's going to face another first-strike, power-centric, fluid player with nothing to lose in Yuri Lachetchka, who just continues to solidify his spot in the top 50. Lachetchka up to a new career high, number 36 in the live rankings. Again, it was a ho-hummer of a first-round win, this time over the talented Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, 7-6-6-3, but it was so impressive how routine he made it look. Broken only once, made 70% of his first serves, won over 60% of his second serve points, was over 75% on the first. You know, last week he lost to Tiafo, who ended up winning the darn event in Stuttgart. And you look for Lechechka this year very quietly, even including his challenger results, 25-16. and 16. Overall, he's winning 60% of his matches, holding steady in the top 50, which at 21 years old is all you can ask for. I get the opportunity to play all the big events throughout the course of the year, if you're him, from his perspective. It's a tough test for Alcaraz. Again, speed on speed. Lechechka has weapons. Lechechka is not going to be afraid to go into that Alcaraz forehand and play him shot to shot. It's going to be a fun match. Alcaraz passes the first test, and again, just it's the competitive. It's just the fact that he finds ways to land that forehand pass. He finds ways to extend rallies. He finds ways to serve and volley and hold serve. He really does have so many different aggressive tools in his arsenal. He had to use them all against Rinder Kinesh, and to his credit, he did, despite, again, what was by Alcaraz's standards, a sloppy performance. Like, you know, again, one of four and saving break points. That sounds worse than it was. Um, I mean, serving-wise, he made 67% of his first serves, 175% of his first serve points, 51% on the second serve. And that's really where you saw the sloppiness is, you know, doing a little too much or getting caught trying to run around a forehand off of a second serve return and not getting his feet set. But it was little things that can be corrected with more repetitions, and you can't take the fight out of Carlos Alcaraz. So he advances in three again. He's got Lachetchka next. That's going to be a fun matchup in round number two. And across the board, it's a fun round of 16 in London. You look at the other winners on the day. First of all, after all the chaos of week number one on the grass courts, each of the top eight seeds in London, they all advance to the second round. Only Alcaraz and Francisco Sarandolo yesterday lost sets. You look at the other seeds who are in action today. Hogaruna goes down in early break. He ultimately takes a 6-6 six and six win over Cressy. Now, it was one of those days for Cressy where, you know, the double faults just started to add up. And, you know, you look for Max Cressy on the day. I believe he was in the double digits. Let me double check here for all of you. But Credit to Holger, who came out a little rocky, a little too patient for grass court tennis. He steadied the ship. Yeah, Cressy, 13 double faults on the day, 8 of 28 on second serve points. I mean, go watch the breaker in the second set. Runa lacing a forehand cross court pass on the first point, then to really solidify things and extend his lead with a double mini break lead, 4-1 in that breaker, backhand laser of a pass into the body of Cressy. Again, whenever Holger Runa got a clean look, he was just better at tennis than Cressy. But of course, on grass courts, you're never going to get clean looks. And to Cressy's credit, even through the double faults, he, as always, maintains his aggression, was only broken once on the day, Runa passes the test, 6-6, six and six, a good first match and a good first result given the opponent that he faced. 
Nice bounce back for Taylor Fritz. Four and five over Zapata Morales. Was up an early break. You know, second set got a little testy, but Zapata Morales, his forehand on this surface, he just didn't have the weapons to hang with Fritz nor the technique. Good win for Tiafo, two and four. Always tough in the hangover effect from a title the week prior, but two and four over Botic. Nothing to stiff your nose at. And then how about Alex Diemenauer? Three and one, albeit over a wary Andy Murray, but... Demons playing the slice a little more on this surface. And I mean, again, I, I said this about uh, who did I say this about yesterday? I said this about a couple of different people as movers on this surface. I think it was someone in Hala who I said this about yesterday and how well they moved on this surface. But you're not going to find a better mover on this surface. Oh, maybe it was about Tiafo yesterday in, a, in part one of our podcast. But God, Demons first step. I mean, the little uh, it's just everything that. Everything Demon can do on this surface, you just shouldn't be able to do from a movement perspective. He keeps the ball in front of him so well, how flat his forehand stays. It just feels like, and again, this has been a continued progression, his willingness to step into backhands now. And he is a little bigger, a little thicker than he used to be in. I think that frame has added some pace in the right way without diminishing from his first step or all the things that he does. Again, credit to Demon. He's through three and one. All of your top eight seeds still alive in London. Who's joining them in the round of 16? A couple of players. We already talked about Lachetchka. We talked about some of these guys yesterday. Nice follow-up for Jordan Thompson coming off of a final last week. He gets a 4-4 four four win over Popperin. You had Adrian Manorino, three sets over Ugo Umber. And then Grigor Dimitrov, the qualifier. I think he's a former, if not winner, finalist at this event, but had to go through qualifying this year. 2-4 and four over Rusevori. Rusevori just could not handle the slice. It just mucked up everything he wanted to do. And anytime he popped the ball up, Dimitrov's so good at pouncing on that ball with his forehand. I thought he looked impressive today. And, you know, again, listen to these matchups. Alcaraz Lechechka, Dimitrov Sarundolo, Tiafo Korda, Thompson Nori, given Jordan Thompson's success on the grass courts of late. Nori's a former Wimbledon semifinalist. That's a fun matchup. Demon Schwartz, weird on this surface, but still fun. Manorino Fritz, that's really fun. Musetti Shelton, sign me up. Peniston Runa, any Ryan Peniston match in London is one worth watching. It's going to be a fun round of 16. And again, right now, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, even given the seven matches, just given how good he is, Alcaraz 19.9% favorite, Fritz 16%, Tiafo 14.8%, Nori 10.3%, Demon 10%, Runa 7.8%. The, the singles forecast thinks like I do. Yeah, Alcaraz, just by virtue of being Carlos Alcaraz, has to be on a list of favorites in any event that he's in, but... Outside of that, on these grass courts, it's anyone's game, and it's why you're not just watching London closely. you got to watch the 500 event in Hala closely as well. You had a couple of seeds push to three sets on the day here in Hala. It started with Yannick Sinner. Look, part of it is just Richard Gasquet is really freaking good on grass courts, and dare I say that veterans' guile certainly shine through throughout the course of the match, but I would point out once again, here in uh, 
much like in London, in Hala, just one of the top eight. I mean, in London, you're eight for eight. In Hala, you're seven of eight. Seven of the top eight seeds through to the round of 16. It's only one round of play, but it just means we're going to get another valuable repetition seeing all of these players. And, you know, again, for Yannick Sinner to be tested in the way he was against Richard Gasquet, who got hot in his 6-5 return game at the end of that second set. Otherwise, everything was on Sinner's terms. And I've said this before, but the pace of his shot, dealing with that weight of shot on these grass courts, just as his opponent, you're going to pop a ball up. And once you do, Sinner pounces on that so well. He's so much more comfortable moving forward. He passes well on the surface, hits him. You know, he was so smart in playing into the Richard Gasquet forehand. But when Gasquet was in, you know, again, position-wise, left the backhand cross open, Sinner was fine attacking it and going into the beast. And yeah, Gasquet came up with some backhand passes, but that is the pattern that ultimately broke Gasquet throughout the course of the third and ultimately allowed Sinner to prevail. And again, that discipline was so impressive. Sinner threw in three sets. Hercots through in three sets as well as he knocks off Chris Eubanks. And that match looked exactly as expected. Big serves, serve and volley, fun shot making, fun creativity. Hercots is through in three. The most interesting match of the day, I should also just quickly say Zverev through in straights. I mean, he returned really well. He moved really well. He served really well. Team's forehand on this surface has always been an issue. It was once again today. The most impressive result for me and most impressive match in level was Rublev versus Wu Bing. Rublev ultimately 6-4, 6-7, 6-2, but God, Wu Bing was right there physically, and the bigger you hit the ball at him, just the more pace it's coming right back at you. His technique is so fluid. He moves so well. He, I've said this before about him. He just knows how to win one more point than you or make one more shot than you do. And look, the tenacity of Rublev, the relentlessness of that forehand, the overwhelming nature, the heaviness of that ball, that pace overwhelmed the smaller in stature of Wui Bing ultimately in the course of the third. But when Wui Bing makes a quarterfinal in Canada or Cincinnati or the City Open this year, has a big summer run on the hard courts when he's going to have his feet under him and be that much more explosive. I mean, it's not going to shock any of you mini-break listeners who have been on the Wooey Bing bandwagon with me for 18 months now, but just be ready because the results haven't quite been there since he won Dallas earlier this year, but they're coming uh, for the young Chinese man. And so, uh, again, just be on the lookout for that result. Rublev had to play really good tennis today. And again, I was impressed by Rublev's level through in three sets. The upset was Bublik 3-1 over Chorich. Chorich has struggled of late. Bublik on this surface is a nightmare. He can absolutely on the right day beat anyone if he can sustain his focus for three out of five sets. Good follow-up for Greek Spore. Again, no title hangover. He's throwing straights over Carbeus Baena. My guy, Yannick Hanfman, former USC All-American, maybe the most underrated player of the 2010s in college tennis, now at a new career high, number 48 in the world. He's 31 years old, and he's at a new career high of number 48. The best story in tennis that I haven't talked enough about. My guy, Yannick Hoffman, threw in three sets. Shout out to him. Shout out to Lorenzo Sanego, three-set winner in what was a really fun match of shot-making and just power tennis and grass-court aggressive tennis. Three-set Sanego knocks out Karatsev. That concludes all the action in Hala. 
But that said, you look at the round of 16 again. Uh, Safilin, Struff, yet to play. I think we had some rain late in the day. But, you know, you look at the round of 16 matches we have set already. Medvedev Jura at the top of the draw may be, dare I say, a little bit on the boring side. But I can get into Nakashima Bautista Agu. Nakashima, second week appearance last year. RBA, dare I say, his most pedestrian year in quite some time. You look at what RBA has done here in 2023 to date, 13 and 15 overall. He made that final in Adelaide at the start of the season. Hasn't done much since. It's interesting to note, considering RBA, it feels like he's been around forever. He turned 35 years old in April. It's worth noting for a guy whose success is so predicated on his overwhelming physicality, into the round of 16, taking on a Nakashima looking for a win. That's one to monitor, certainly. Rublev versus Hanfman. I'm telling you, if you haven't seen Yana Hanfman hit a kick serve, it's something to watch. And his servant volleying on this surface, his length, his size should work like a hand in a glove. Greek Spore Hercots in. Bublik probably versus Struff in. Sinego versus Sinner, Battle of the Italians in. Zverev, Shapovalov, Shapo desperate for a big run to get his season going this late in the year. Zverev, everything's free points the rest of the season, so he can really make a top 10 push once again in. Yari versus Tsitsipas in. It's a really fun week in Holland right now. I mean, it's funny. I wonder if Jan Leonard Struff is through if he would be the favorite right now to win the title. But as of right now, Medvedev, 27% favorite after that. Tsitsipas, 17.3. Sinner, 9.1. Rublev, 9.3. Hercots, 8.3. I wonder what Struff would be if he was through a round. And again, matching up with Bublik because right now he's 2.3%. But I think he should be a top five contender for this title this week in Hala. And I'm telling you, if he makes another semifinal or you know, dare I say, a final type run. Now we really got to start talking about Jan Leonard Struff's potential to do some serious damage at the 2023 Wimbledon. That said, that's all your ATP action. The draws are loaded in London and Holland this week. So, of course, we'll be keeping a close eye on all of that here on the Mini Break podcast feed. Let's move over now, though, to the WTA side of things. We'll start in Berlin. Only one well, I guess Avanesian, just given the lack of top 50 prowess, the lack of top 50 wins in her career, for her to beat Dari Kasatkina, uh, certainly, uh, Kasatkina, excuse me, certainly qualifies as an upset. But, you know, again, outside of that, not to not spend at particularly long on Berlin today, but I don't think it was a particularly eventful day. Sabalenka gave Zvonareva the business three and two. Kudermatova played a really fun, aggressive first set. And by Kudermatova, I mean Polina, not Veronica, but Polina Kudermatova played a really aggressive set and kept pace with Rabakina through eight games. She blinked at in her 4-5 service game. Rabakina's power overwhelming on this surface. The top seed looked like two of the top three contenders heading into Wimbledon. And again, just on reputation. On principle, you have to have Iga and make it a clear-cut top three, but that's what it is right now, a clear-cut top three, at least on Tuesday, June 20th, on the women's side. You know, outside of that, Alexandrova, 
She's creeping into my top 10, dare I say top five consideration. She gets a four and three win over a Samsonova. Again, Greek sport, Tiafo, Alexandrova, all title winners last week, all great in their follow-up performances in round one here this week as well. Four and three. She's just really comfortable on this surface. Goff, her serve amplified on this surface. She's showing off that. If you've watched Coco Goff closely, she has been more aggressive this season. She has imposed herself more moving forward in her service games. It's been a small thing. It's why she has been consistently a top 25 club member all year long. Three and four over a tricky Sinyakova. I thought looking for Coco Goff again, first grass court match of the year. First serve, she only made 58% of them, but wasn't broken on the day. You know, some of it was Sinyakova-centric, but Goff played a very smart match. And, you know, again, she is like an Alcaraz. She is like a demon hour in the sense of just the movement on the surface, what she's capable of. You're just like, how? How? And she's been like that since she first came to everyone's attention as a 14-year-old at Wimbledon. Crazy to think that was five, six years ago. But that's where we are now in the Coco Goff story arc. She gets a straight set win. You know, again, just to quickly blitz through your winners on the day, uh, because, uh, excuse me, your non-upsets of the day. You have Sasnovich, 6-4-1, all that match suspended against Azarenka. Masarova, Podoroska, one all in the third as well. You had Forley uh, gets a win over Wang Xinyu after Wang Xinyu forced to retire uh after losing the second set, 7-5, just physically, you could tell she just was not where she needed to be. And with Wimbledon coming up, you just don't want to take any chances. Again, uh, how about on a blink of a 7-5 in the third over Siegemund? Your other two results on the day, Nehemiah over Jabur, Avanissian over Kasakina. Of course, those are your two upsets. Let's start with Nehemiah, who, let's remember, was a quarterfinalist at Wimbledon last year, was a round of 16, made a round of 16 appearance at the U.S. Open last year. Now, if she had Wimbledon points on her resume, she would be inside the top 100, but obviously no points offered from Wimbledon last year. As such, Nehemiah finds herself at 120 in the world right now. She might not get into the main draw of Wimbledon or might have to go through qualifying to do so, barring a significant sort of run this week. And you look for Nehemiah. It's actually a fun live rankings game, I suppose, to play. Ooh, she's at 103 in the rankings following a win at a 500-level event, a first-round win that gave her, ooh, she gets another win. Next, she's up to number 95, and she is into the main draw. By the way, Leila Fernandez, 95 in the world right now. That's just not a number you'd expect to see next to her name. But look, it's the power. It's the creativity. When Niemeyer's on her front foot, when she is dictating, oh, I mean, she just has the weaponry. And I know she only made 52% of her first serves, and you look for her over the past year, 24 and 27 overall. Part of her problem, you're only making 45% of your first serves. That's just not going to be enough consistently against the best and the best in the world, but against the best of the best, excuse me. But man, when she lands that first serve, when she gets a clean look at that first forehand, boy, can she pancake through it and just... You know, again, there were moments when slice for slice, she was able to outdo Anjabur. She was able to find such, re- I mean, the the cross-court forehand return, she hit that short angle on set point in the first set. I don't even know if she hit that ball cleanly. You could see on her face after she won the point that she was kind of laughing at how perfectly that return was executed because obviously that's not the exact spot she meant to hit, but 
those are the spots available to Niemeyer. It is that impressive when she's in form. And, you know, again, it's not as though Jabir had a a poor day, a poor performance. You look, you know, in that first set, Jabir served for the opener, up 5-4. She never got to set point. Now, she had two set points in Nehemiah's 3-5 service game, but, you know, she overcomes a two-set uh, two point deficit in the first set, and that's in a first set where she made just 43% of her first serve. She was 9 of 26 on second serve points in that set. And look, Niemeyer is not the best mover. And Jabir, if you're going to give her a second serve that sits up, she's going to take it on the rise. She's going to start to incorporate drop shot returns or just slices that get you out of center. When Jabir was able to get Niemeyer out of center, there were times when she struggled. But there were other times when she didn't. And you just look for Niemeyer, who right now turns 24 years old in August, I do think she's a better mover now than she was a year ago. Now, I don't know if she's as confident with the ground strokes as she was through that Wimbledon U.S. Open run last year, but the weaponry is there. The creativity is there. The first step is there as well, and that's why I just think as she continues to improve her fitness throughout the course of her career, which is the one thing that is such a controllable for all of these players, career high for Nehemiah right now is 61. Her career high will be inside the top 50 by the time her career ends. And that is not a hot take for someone who's made a slam quarterfinal would probably be in the top 50 if Wimbledon offered points last year because you make quarterfinals in round of 16 at two slams in the same year. Yeah, you're going to be a top 50 player. She was awesome today against Jabir, who was sloppy, who didn't move particularly well. The footwork was a little off. It's a first grass court match of the season, and it's for Jabir, who's still, I know she made a big, uh, you know, made a run at the French Open, but it's still big picture trying to work her way, I suppose, back from injury. So I'm not selling my reigning Wimbledon finalist on Jabir on grass court stock. I'm just continuing to buy Niemeyer stock coming out of this match because, again, the power she possesses. That forehand can just knock your socks off, and that's the side you got to attack because it's a bigger backswing, and yet, you know, again, you, you can't just be repetitive in your strikes to that side. The backhand rocks out. She plays the slice. She plays the short angle. The second serve can hang, and she doesn't make enough first serves, but first serve percentage and fitness are the two biggest controllables, and you just feel like those are the two things Niemeyer needs to improve most in the immediate future, and once she does, look out. WTA Tour. I'm not saying top 20 or 15 repetitively, but can make a big run and beat the right player on the right day because she has that sort of power and I think most certainly should have a three-year run in the top 50 at some point of her career. Good win for the young German today. Uh, again, that's your biggest upset. You also had Avenisian, the lucky loser, 7-6 in the third over Kasekina. I, Kasekina could play the slices, but everything just hangs up too much. And her serve on this surface is just, dare I say, a lamb for the slaughter. She faced 14 break points on grass courts today. It's tough coming off of that round of 16 appearance, obviously, uh, at Roland Garros last year. But, you know, keep in mind, for Kasekina in her career on grass courts, despite the lack of, you know, an obvious weapon, 21 and 14 overall, has made a quarterfinals at Wimbledon before, made a final in Birmingham back in 2021. Her creativity works on this surface. Evanesian was just, dare I say, ready for it. And so, you know, again, I think this says more about the 20-year-old Russian than it does about the, uh, about Kasatkina and 
I mean, again, you look for Avanesian now. She won 100K back at the start of May, qualifies and makes the round of 16 at Roland Garros. Now, as a lucky loser, gets a first-round win over Kasakina here, 7-6 in the third. Right now, the 20-year-old Russian currently sitting at a career high of number, uh, I believe, 67. Yes, for the 20-year-old Russian, 67 in the live rankings. Listen to this run of just innocuous young talent sitting in the 60 to 70 range. 21-year-old Katie McNally, 61. 22-year-old Emma Navarro, 66. 20-year-old Elena Avanesian, 67. 21-year-old Camila Rakamova, 68. 21-year-old Wang Xinyu, 69. For what it's worth, 22-year-old Wang Xiyu currently sitting at 73. I mean, Kami Osorio, 80 at 21. Peyton Stearns, 21. She's at 55. Linda Fruvertova, 53. Even Andrescu, by the way, still 23 years old. She's sitting at 50. The WTA is loaded with young talent. And again, I'm not ready to delineate all the different tiers. That's a, Maybe we'll do that mid-season or maybe we'll do that after the grass court season, heading into the hard court. That instead of a post-grass season award show, that's exactly what we're going to do. Post-grass season, since it's not award show time, we're doing that this week. We'll do a tiers pod heading into the hard courts with DK and Gil. So we'll go back and do our tiers. We haven't done a tiers pod in a while. I'm excited for that. Nevertheless, again, shout out to the youngins. Getting successful victory, showing off their talent. And we still have a bunch of first-round matches tomorrow. Kudermatova versus Chin Wen. Podoroska, Masarova, Azarenka, Sasnovich to complete. Sakari Cornet, the rematch. Andrescu, Vondrosova. Again, we had some rain, uh, unfortunately, delay things in Berlin. But that's where things stand after Tuesday, of course, in Birmingham. I'll go through this a little bit quicker. Potapova, Kostyuk, shot-making. Oh, I mean, again, two more young talents right now. Potapova currently what? 22 years old. She's at 22 in the rankings. Kostyuk currently 20 years old. She's at a career high 34 in the rankings. Go watch this match. Tell me those aren't two future top 20, top 15, dare I say, even top 10 players in the world. And the biggest issue in this problem was Kostyuk's forehand sprayed a little bit more than Potapova's did in the biggest moments. But this match was physical. They were absolutely annihilating the ball. Obviously, it was a spirited match. It was it was delightful. That's the best match I saw today. So if I'm giving you one thing to watch, it would be Potapova Kostyuk. But, you know, again, looking at the rest of the results, I, I've told you all about my pro Harriet Dart on grass court position. She's now 12-5 and five since the start of last year on grass court. She can beat a seed at Wimbledon if she can get into the main draw outside the top 100 right now. But 7-5 in the third, she knocks off last week's finalist, Jody Burridge. Yeah, Magdalena Freak, 6-1 over Striskova. Uh, Ost- uh, excuse me, Kirstea, 6-3 in the third over Bogdan. Ostapenko Naskova was really fun as well. I should have mentioned that. Linda Naskova, the teenager. I mean, that she didn't lose the first set 6-love is honestly impressive because Ostapenko was just in one of those 20-minute stretches where it doesn't matter what you're doing. Ostapenko's hitting the cover off the ball. You're just not beating her. And yet, Naskova matched that level in the second set. Now, she couldn't sustain it in the third, and this is the quickest 6-2-5-7-6-1 match you'll ever see in our 40 minutes. First strike was the name of the game. Naskova could do it for about 45 minutes. She couldn't do it for an hour 40 yet. Again, Ostapenko played really well. She's elevating up the short list of potential Wimbledon contenders as well, although she was already on it, given what we've seen from her in flashes over the past two years on this surface. But, man, 
anyone else, Noskova gets to round number two. Uh, it was just happened to be against Ostapenko, so keep your eye on her. And then, unfortunately, last week's champions go three and one on the day as Katie Bolter knocked out by Julin seven five seven five. Good win for Julin. Started out the year obviously so hot, things cooled off for her in the clay court season, but still the twenty nine year old thirty eight in the world holding firm inside the top fifty, which uh, with a lot of hard court play and points to be gained still on the resume to come. That said, that's everything that happened Tuesday on the WTA and ATP Tours. Again, we will be back tomorrow to keep you updated. Of course, coming up this week, Great Shot Podcast feed, ATP, WTA Award Shows with David Kane. We will have more interviews available on the Cracked Interviews Podcast feed as well, so be sure to check out all of our content. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Not just the podcast, but of course, every weekend, we're broadcasting the 2023 USTA SoCal Pro Series, a series of ITF 15K Pro events that feature so many of the next generation of rising stars in the game, whether they be former or current collegians, young juniors in the SoCal area making their pro debuts. Plenty of fun stuff. Extraordinarily high-level tennis. Best of all, it's free and available on our website, crackedrackets.com. So be sure to check that out every Saturday, every Sunday, over the course of the next four weeks. Of course, with all that said, shout out lastly to our dear friends at Tennis Point. And you all know the deal, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for my fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, that's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.